0: Well, good morning again. Welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. And for the final time, let's stand together and say the Lord's Prayer as we finish out our sermon series. Hopefully by now you've memorized it, if you didn't have it memorized before. Starting in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You can be seated. Before we finish things up, let's do a quick review of where we've been. Back in verse 9, we discussed how sinners like us can only call God Father by faith in Jesus Christ. But while we can approach God's throne in prayer as his children, with joy, we also approach God with humility, because we remember that he is in heaven and we are on earth. And finally, we seek to hallow God's name, or honor God's name, in all that we say and all that we do. From there, we went to verse 10. We believe that God's kingdom has already come in one sense with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But at the same time, we still look forward to the day when Jesus returns. Because on that day alone, will God's will truly be done on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 11 is easy to overlook because it just seems so simple. Give us this day our daily bread. But it's wonderfully comforting to know that we can ask the God of the universe to meet our most basic needs in this life. And we can also praise him for having already met our needs for eternal life in Jesus. And then last week we saw that verse 12 is a humble admission of our own sin. A straightforward acknowledgement of our need for God's mercy, richly provided through Jesus' death. But it's also a challenge that we learn to forgive others as the Lord has forgiven us. The Lord's Prayer is a great place to start as we learn how to pray as Jesus' disciples. Because Jesus gave it to us, we can pray this prayer with complete confidence that our words are appropriate, wise, and Christ-like. So if you like Jesus' disciples in the Gospel of Luke, want clear, direct, foolproof instructions about how to pray, then look to the Lord's Prayer. It's the perfect place to start. But today we examine our final portion, focusing specifically on verse 13. We just read it, Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. Lead us not into temptation... But deliver us from evil. As we've seen, some parts of the Lord's Prayer are theologically dense, others are incredibly challenging, others are immensely practical, and still others are quite humbling. But this part might be the most perplexing, and maybe even the most controversial. So it is crucial that believers understand what this final verse of the Lord's Prayer does and doesn't mean before we pray it. So open up to Matthew chapter 6. Feel free to follow along as we go, both here and at home, if you're live streaming. But before we move ahead, let's pray. Lord, again, thank you for the Lord's Prayer thank you that you have taught us how to pray. There are so many aspects of the Christian life that are left up to our own discernment. We don't always have clear, direct instructions that we would like about how to handle every situation, how to honor you in the places and the times that you've put us. But Lord, when it comes to prayer, you have told us exactly how to do it. And so thank you for this Lord's Prayer. Thank you that You help us to pray. You teach us to pray. You give us your spirit to assist us in our prayers and we don't know what to say. Lord, thank you that you invite us to approach your throne with confidence in prayer. I pray that you would hear our prayer this morning, that you would watch over us, keep us safe, keep us healthy. Thank you for those here in this room. Thank you for those at home as well. Thank you for those elsewhere. Thank you for our brothers and sisters in Christ and Thank you for the privilege of worshiping you, the privilege of reading your word. Lord, I pray this time would be fruitful for us and glorifying to you. And we thank you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Before we dive into deep, let's define our terms, namely that one big word, temptation. In short, temptation is an incitement to sin, an incitement to sin, But for a longer definition, consider the words of theologian John Owen. John Owen writes, A temptation, then, in general, is anything that for any reason exerts a force or influence to seduce and draw the mind and heart of man from the obedience which God requires of him to any kind of sin. In particular, it is a temptation if it causes a man to sin, gives him opportunity to do so, or causes him to neglect his duty. Temptation may suggest evil to the heart or draw out the evil that is already there. It is also a temptation to man if something is by any means able to distract him from his communion with God or the consistent universal obedience that is required of him. To clarify, I am considering temptation not just as the active force of seduction to sin, but also the thing itself by which we are tempted. Whatever it is, within us or without us, that hinders us from duty or provides an occasion for sin, this should be considered temptation. It could be business, employment, The course of one's life, company, affections, nature, purposes, relations, delights, reputation, esteem, position, abilities, gifts, etc. that provide the opportunity to sin or neglect duty. These are true temptations just as much as the most violent solicitations of Satan or allurements of the world. Whoever does not realize this is on the brink of ruin. You know, sometimes we make light of this idea of temptation. We think of someone eating a donut in front of us when we're on a diet. But with the sort of temptation that we're talking about today, the temptation to sin against God, the stakes are much higher than a little bit of weight gain. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. As John Owen said, temptation can bring us to the brink of ruin. It's serious stuff. But then here's the part of verse 13 that gets perplexing and maybe even a little bit controversial. Would a good and holy God actively incite someone to sin? Like Zach said, would a good bus driver stop at a restaurant? The answer is no. Do we pray, lead us not into temptation in fear that God might actively attempt to trip us up? Would God intentionally put stumbling blocks in our paths in hopes of seeing us fall? Would God purposely set us up for failure? Well, according to James, the answer again is no. James chapter 1, verse 13, we read... Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So if James says that God cannot be tempted with evil, and doesn't tempt anybody else, and if the Bible does not contradict itself, then what do we mean when we ask God to lead us not into temptation? Different solutions have been offered for this apparent conundrum. For example, you could just change the translation of the Lord's Prayer to something a little more tame. Pope Francis made headlines a few years ago suggesting that the words ought to be adjusted from, lead us not into temptation, which we just read, to something more like, do not let us fall into temptation. Others have made similar tweaks, wording it as cause us not to succumb to temptation or do not cause us to enter temptation by the devil. Now, those efforts may be well intended, and there's value in making sure that we've translated the words correctly. We don't want to repeat some misguided tradition just because it's how we've always said it. However, those new translations may be over corrections. Those translators may be jumping the shark in their attempts to try to get God off the hook. A better approach is to simply recognize an unavoidable tension in the Bible. And that tension is this. God sometimes tests his people. And God sometimes allows Satan to tempt his people. God sometimes tests his people, and God sometimes allows Satan to tempt his people. Take a few of the most well-known biblical examples, some you might recognize. Look to Genesis chapter 22, where Abraham almost sacrifices his promised son Isaac. Genesis 22 verse 1 says that God tests Abraham. And Abraham ultimately proves his faith by being willing to make that sacrifice. Now, of course, God is all-knowing. God knew what was going to happen. Nothing had to be proven to him. But Abraham proves his faith to himself. Proves it to Isaac. Proves it to the generations who would come after him. Abraham goes down as the gold standard of faith in the Old Testament because he passed this test. You could also look at the book of Job. At God's suggestion, at God's allowance, Satan unleashes immense suffering on a righteous man. Satan was convinced that with just a little bit of pressure, with just a little bit of heat, Job would curse God and die but God knows better. Job was not perfect, but he did pass that test. He never did curse God to his face the way Satan bet he would. He passed the test. He resisted the temptation. He proved God right and proved Satan wrong. And the most important example comes in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. We read there that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. It's important to note who's doing what in the story because we see both God and Satan at work simultaneously. The Father is testing Jesus. Satan is tempting Jesus. Theologian Wesley Hill writes, God is not the one doing the tempting. That's the devil's business, like we read in James chapter 1. The spirit may be the superintendent of the play, but he does not assume the role of the villain who appears on the stage with Jesus. God tests, Satan tempts. It might make us uncomfortable, but you can't read the Bible and deny the fact that God sometimes might test us. And you also can't read the Bible and deny that God might sometimes allow Satan to tempt us. So back to our original question. Would God really lead his people into temptation? Well, yes. In the sense that God may allow us to face times of trial for our good and for our growth. Going back to James chapter one, starting in verse two, James says, count it all joy. My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for, you know, that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Testing might be hard, but it can grow us in holiness. It can grow us in maturity. And again, while God may test us, God does not tempt us. That's Satan's job. God may test us for our good, like a refiner of metal holding us in fire so that impurities can be melted away. Satan, on the other hand, tempts us for our ill. He desires to incite us to sin against God. He may try to use that same fire not to refine us, but to destroy us. God tests, Satan tempts. Thus, when we do fall into temptation, God does not deserve the blame. We read James chapter 1 verse 13 earlier. Go back to it and read what follows. Verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now, if you step back and think about it for a moment... When are we not being led into temptation, to some degree? Living in a fallen world, temptations are all around us. Temptation isn't only present in some dramatic confrontation with Satan out in the wilderness. Temptation can come in even the most mundane circumstances, and the most seemingly innocent contexts. We face temptation Daily. We regularly choose whether to worship the Father or worship ourselves. We regularly choose whether to follow the Son or follow the devil. We regularly choose to walk in step with the Spirit or to feed our flesh. So it's no wonder that Jesus teaches us to pray in this way. Lead us not into temptation. J.I. Packer summed up verse 13 like this. Life is a spiritual minefield. Amid such dangers, we dare not trust ourselves. Father, keep us safe. Father, keep us safe indeed. So knowing the dangers that lurk in our fallen world, the temptations that exist in every direction, the thought that when Satan is tempting us for our ill, God is testing us for our growth ought to bring us some level of comfort. It's reassuring to know that God can take those moments when we are perilously close to sin and instead use them to grow us in holiness. He can teach us to resist. He can help us avoid that sin. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Starting in verse 12, he gives the example of Old Testament Israelites who fell into temptation, worshiped false gods. He says in verse 12, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Temptation is most dangerous when we think that we are immune to it. Temptation is truly threatening when we foolishly believe that we can handle it ourselves, rather than trusting, asking, and praying that God get us through it. And temptation is truly deadly when we think there is no way out. We are not doomed to fall into it. God can sustain us through it. So we pray, lead us not into temptation. On top of that, we take practical steps to avoid temptation. We are honest with ourselves about our own unique weaknesses. We avoid putting ourselves into situations where we will be particularly susceptible to temptation. And we surround ourselves with brothers and sisters in Christ who can hold us accountable. We can even learn something from Jesus' example in Matthew chapter 4. That for every temptation Satan threw at him, Jesus had a scriptural response. But there's another question. And that's this. What about when we fall? What about when we fail? We all have. And even after we believe, we all will. So at the end of the day, we need more than just an ability to avoid temptation. We need more than just experience at learning how to manage our weaknesses. We need more than just an overall reduction of sin in our hearts, Minds and lives. That's not enough. We need God to do something beyond leading us not into temptation. We need God to deliver us from evil. The second part of verse 13. And God has done just that through Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has in every respect been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In First John chapter 3, verse 8 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, the original tempter. Jesus is fully human as we are, and yet he never fell into temptation as we have. That's why Jesus alone was qualified to offer his life for ours to take the punishment of our sins upon himself. Jesus alone faced down at the devil's temptations in all of their power and did not fall for his tricks the way Adam and Eve once did and the way you and I have. Jesus alone was tested by the Father and never failed. Jesus alone can deliver us from evil. Again, there are endless opportunities to fall into temptation in the fallen world that we live in. But having been reconciled to the Father, saved by the Son, and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we should should develop such a distaste for sin that we will inconvenience ourselves for the sake of steering clear of it. But when temptation does inevitably come our way, when it feels like we were led right into it and there is nothing we could have done to avoid it, we trust that God can use those times of testing not to incite us to sin, but to grow us in holiness. And in those moments when we do fall, which we all will, we give thanks for the one who didn't. We remember that our salvation does not rest in training ourselves to sin a little bit less our salvation rests in Jesus Christ the one who never sinned at all he has delivered us from evil by his cross and he will deliver us from evil once and for all when he returns and in that day there will be no more temptations so we look to him we trust in him We long for that day, knowing that it will come. In the meantime, we pray that God would lead us not into temptation. In the meantime, we remind ourselves that we have been and will be delivered from evil. And we pray in this way, knowing that God hears us as his children. That God is our father. That he invites us to pour out our needs unto his ears that one day his kingdom will come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We remember that we have been forgiven and so we continue to forgive. And we know that one day Satan will be cast down and that one day we will stand in God's presence and there will be no more sin to fall into. That is our hope, that is our confidence, that is our prayer, and that is our joy. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. It's scary to think that temptations are out there. It's scary to think that sin can lurk behind every corner. It's scary to remember that even after we believe, we still have that residue of sin within us. It's scary to think that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. All that stuff is intimidating. But Lord, I pray that you would lead us not into temptation. And I pray that we would remember that you have and you will deliver us from evil. There will be a day when Satan is no more. There will be a day when sin is is forever eradicated. There will be a day when temptations will no longer come our way. And so, Lord, we ask that you protect us. We ask that you sustain us and preserve us until that day comes. As J.I. Packer prayed, we know that this world is a spiritual minefield, but we ask you to keep us safe. We know that you can, we know that you have, we know that you will. And Lord, we long for the day when your kingdom is coming, when your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, we love you, Lord. We praise you that we can call you our Father. We thank you that you can hear our prayers, that you do hear our prayers. You invite us to pray. And that even more directly, you teach us to pray in the verses that we've been reading. We love you. We ask this all in Christ's name.